0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Effective Altruism Forum Weekly Podcast. My name is Colin Snell. These summaries are written by Zoe Williams. We get general support from Rethink Priorities, and Type 3 audio helps us to get these up on the RSS feed. In this episode, we are covering the 24th to 30th of April, 2023, where we'll be covering, summarizing, and breaking down the top posts, articles, and discussions happening on the forum during that period. And as always, I want to uh, push very quickly before we start a very important piece of feedback for any effective altruism project, and that's impact assessments, or more so in this case, uh, our route to collecting data to do an impact assessment. We have a survey on the impact this podcast is having on our listenership. We know our numbers are decent in terms of overall listener count, but we're not getting as many responses as we could anticipate from our listenership. And we really, really need that In order to assess the type of impact, the scale of the impact, and the effectiveness overall that this is having on the effective altruism community for when we're deciding on if we want to keep putting our resources and time into this podcast. So, despite it being fun, we need to make sure it's having an impact. And I would absolutely love it if you guys could take five to 10 minutes. It will take 10 minutes max to provide some stuff that we might be doing well, that might be having a good impact on you, and also things that we can improve. It would mean a lot to us, and it would help the podcast continue if it's something you're finding useful. Our team will leave a link down below directly to the form, So you can get on it right now and it will be a lot to us. Also, if you haven't already, make sure to download these episodes and like or rate them on whatever platform you're listening on. It really, really helps our numbers and it helps more people within the community and sometimes even outside the community to catch one of this and get involved in making the world a better place the most effectively that we can. So without any further ado... Let's go ahead and jump into the object-level interventions and reviews for this week, starting with some AI-related posts. The first post we have is by Gilambas, Jamie Sevilla, and Monica Oloa. and it's called Proposals for AI Regulatory Sandbox in Spain. The author's summary is the following. The European Union is designing a regulatory framework for artificial intelligence that could be approved by the end of 2023. This regulation prohibits unacceptable practices and stipulates requirements for AI systems in critical sectors. These obligations consist of a risk management system, a quality management system, and post-marketing monitoring. The legislation enforcement will be tested for the first time in Spain in a regulatory sandbox of approximately three years. This will be a great opportunity to prepare the national ecosystem and influence the development of AI governance internationally. In this context, we present several policies to consider, including third-party auditing, the detection and evaluation of frontier AI models, red teaming exercises, and creating an incident database. The next post, once again by Jamie Sevilla, is called Power Laws in Speedrunning and Machine Learning. In this article, in this paper, Sevilla breaks down a paper by Epoch of the same name, where world record progressions in video game speedrunning fit extremely well to a power law distribution. However, due to the lack of longitudinal data, the authors can't provide definitive evidence of power law decay within machine learning benchmark improvements. Though, Jamie does note that it is a better model than assuming no improvement over time whatsoever. However, if you assume that this model is accurate, it would suggest two major things for machine learning. First, machine learning benchmarks aren't close to saturation points. And B, sudden large improvements are infrequent, but aren't ruled out. And can't be rolled out looking forward into the future of AI and machine learning development. The next post we have is by Jacob, and it's called, No, the EMH does not imply that markets have long AGI timelines. This argues that interest rates are not a reliable instrument for assessing market beliefs about transformative artificial intelligence timelines. And Jacob writes this for two reasons. First, Savvy investors have no incentive to bet on short timelines because it will tie up their capital until it loses value. Value here, not necessarily meaning value on paper, but usefulness to the investor themselves. There's not the right incentives because by the time that they might have returns, they might be dead or they're so rich, it doesn't even matter anymore. There's a subpoint here that... They do have incentives to increase personal consumption however as savings are less useful in a transformative ai future however they aren't a large enough group to influence interest rates more broadly there might be a point where the number of transformative ai focused individuals within investment cycles or given certain investment utility amounts might be able to change that dynamic it might be a case where Rational actors within the system or semi-rational actors within the investment system might have different incentives, but for right now, they aren't a large enough group to influence interest rates in a major way. Secondly, this makes interest rates more of a pull of upper-middle-class consumers than investors themselves, and this reflects whether they believe that timelines are short and that savings won't be useful post-transformative AI. This is, of course, in comparison to believing they are more useful due to worries of losing their job to AI itself. Moving on to other existential risks within the object-level interventions and review section, we have some bio and nuclear-focused articles, the first of which comes to us from Jeff Kaufman. It's called Genetic Sequencing of Wastewater, Prevalence to Relative Abundance. Identifying future pandemics via sequencing wastewater is difficult because sequencing reads are several steps removed from infection rates themselves. The author and several others at the Nucleic Acid Observatory are working through a plan to understand how relative abundance fracture of sequencing reads matching an organism, for example varies with prevalence and organism. For the prevalence factor here, what fraction of people are currently infected needs to be considered, and for organisms, when sampling wastewater you'd really expect disproportionately more gastrointestinal pathogens than blood pathogens the team at the new click observatory has gathered some initial data from papers that published in the sequence read archive and began cleaning up the data so it's more useful they welcome others to let them know if anything looks off in the data set that they share the next article is called report food security in argentina in the event of an abrupt sunlight reduction scenario, or ASRS. This article comes to us from Jorge Torres C. Jamie Sevilla, Monica Oloa, Daniel Teznairo, Roberto Tonoco, Juan Garcia, Morgan Rivers, Denkenberger, and Gillam Bass. It's also a link post to a broader report which according to Zia et al. in 2022, 75% of the world's population could starve to death in a severe nuclear winter. Argentina has better conditions to survive this scenario than most countries, and is one of the world's leading producers and exporters of food, which positions them very nicely in this potential nuclear winter scenario. Because of this, the authors have put together a strategic proposal recommending initiatives and priority actions for the Argentinian government to consider. There's eight of these specifically that they cover in the report. First, developing of response plans to ensure food and water supply in the face of the risk. Secondly, formulating strategies and legal frameworks for internal food rationing and waste reduction. Third, maintaining open trade policies to enhance food production and facilitate access to critical inputs and materials. Four is ensuring clear and centralized communication strategies through the dissemination of emergency management plans. Five is redirection of animal feed and biofuel production resources towards human food consumption. Six is adaption of agricultural systems to increase food production. Seven is adaption of aquaculture to increase food production, especially high-protein food production. And eight, high-tech adaptions to increase food production more broadly. Shifting gears to the animal welfare side of articles for the last week, we have developing farmed animal welfare in China. Engaging Stakeholders in Research for Improved Effectiveness, written by Jack underscore S and Jia Ying. Asia holds around 40% of farmland animals and 85% of farm fish in the world. The majority of these animals and fish are in China. However, Asian advocates only receive an estimated around 7% of global animal advocacy funding. Good Growth describes two stakeholder-engaged studies they've conducted to better understand animal advocates and consumers in China. Some of the key findings that they had about the animal welfare community include the public are not generally aware of farmed animal welfare issues. They also found that it's difficult to operate as an animal nonprofit in China, and that vegetarianism can have religious connotations that are off-putting to many consumers. Additionally, they found the animal welfare community is small, has few professional opportunities and extremely limited resources for capacity building. Opportunities exist in health, education, and food-related messaging and events, and in integrating welfare concerns into sustainability and environmental movements within the country. The Good Growth team also reports some of their key findings around attitudes within the public toward animal welfare. And some of the findings here are really, really fascinating, first of which is that language choice is really key The word welfare often makes people think of luxuries like massages for cattle. Crustacean welfare is a major turnoff for Chinese participants, and it received a lot of pushback across all demographics. Additionally, mothers were keen on safer, higher welfare products for their children. Grandparents were also willing to try higher welfare products after seeing videos of animal suffering. And participants rarely saw animal welfare as a foreign concept or conspiracy-associated thing, which some advocates have believed or predicted within their hypotheses that they would see within the data. Key findings about attitudes of the public toward alternative proteins were also looked at, and within this, the team at Good Growth found four major points. First, consumers are worried about food safety. This means that alternate protein companies need to be really careful to avoid negative connotations associated with words like fake meat, or terms like old or zombie meat, or other things, my personal favorite, meat from non-food animals, as a term that gets thrown around and tends to have some really bad connotations associated with it, for I think obvious reasons. Because veganism in China is strongly associated with Buddhist and Taoist ideas of purity and good health, most vegans in China weren't interested in alternate proteins. Many people experiment with new food during communal meals, where five to six dishes might be shared per meal. Developing dishes for these types of restaurants represents an opportunity for alternate proteins to be incorporated and spread within Chinese food culture. Lastly, the team found that no one thought they were the target market for plant-based meats. The team's comprehensive findings got massive positive reception from both Chinese and international advocacy organizations. The authors suggest similar stakeholder engaged and qualitative methods, which you can see in the post for details on their methodologies used, that are currently underutilized within Effective Altruism. And they're also happy to chat. You can email them at info at goodgrowth.io with those interested in exploring these areas. Moving on to the global health and development section for the week, we have an article coming to us from Rethink Priorities, Aisling Leo, Jenny underscore Kudamola, Bruce, Tom Hurd, and James Hu. And it's called Better Weather Forecasting. Agricultural and non-agricultural benefits in low and middle income countries. The Effective Altruism Forum loves a good shallow investigation, and this one is a shallow investigation on whether improving weather forecasting could have benefits for agriculture in low and lower middle income countries. Global numerical weather predictions, or GNWs, are often used in these countries, and this is bad because the authors found that they are not of great quality. The authors estimate additional observation stations would not cross Open Philanthropy's cost-effectiveness bar. The range that the authors found were 16 times to 162 times, versus the bar of 1,000 times. However, they suggest other interventions like identifying where global numerical weather predictions are already performing really well. They work better in some areas than others, and extending access to S2S databases could be really worthwhile in terms of improving the overall usefulness of the GNW predictions. The next article is called World Malaria Day, Reflecting on Past Victories and Envisioning a Malaria-Free Future by Second Richter, Grace Adams, and Giving What We Can. Giving What We Can is currently running a fundraiser for World Malaria Day, and overviews efforts to date in preventing the disease. Malaria has been a plight on human society and human well-being for many, many years. And in 2021, over 600,000 people died of malaria alone. It costs $5,000 to save one of these lives via bed nets or seasonal medication. Using data from openbook.fyi, the authors estimated that donations from EAs have saved around 25,000 lives from malaria. Some effective altruists have also actively developed new interventions and implementations. These are things that we've covered on the show, like zapp malaria. They also know almost half of the world's countries have eradicated malaria via public health efforts since 1945, with malaria being completely eradicated from Europe in the 1970s. 95% of malaria cases now occur in Africa. Recent advances in vaccines and gene drives provide hope for eradicating malaria in countries still affected and a much brighter future, and one that might be a malaria-free one. Or hopefully will, if we continue doing the work that we are. The next article is called, What are work practices that you've adopted that you now think are underrated by Lisca? Some of the top comments to the question posed by Lisca include, first, the concept of who owns the ball? i.e. ensuring clear ownership of every task. Using a watch-teamed backup to create a culture of double-checking without implying the other person is doing a bad job. Third, working from an office or co-working space was also seen as kind of overrated despite being adapted in the past or adopted in the past, that is. And last, time-capping. There's things like setting a limited amount of time to accomplish a specific goal. Moving on to the community and media section for the week, we have, by Eva, current plans... As the incoming director of Global Priorities Institute, Eva Vivalt is an assistant professor in the Department of Economics at the University of Toronto. And they are also the new executive director of the Global's Priorities Institute, or GPI. Their current views on what GPI should do more of are the following First, researching on decision making under uncertainty. Secondly, increasing empirical research. Third, expanding GPI's network in economics. Fourth, exploring, expanding into other fields and topics. These are things like psychology and whether the existing economies and philosophy teams can contribute to conversations on AI. Last is mentoring students and early career researchers. The next article we have is from Max Dalton, Michelle Hutchinson, and Claire Zabul. It's called Suggest Candidates for CEA's Next Executive Director. The Center for Effective Altruism, or CEA, is searching for a new executive director you can suggest candidates by May 3rd and or provide feedback on CA's vision and hiring process via form listed in the article. They are open to and very enthusiastic about candidates who want to make significant ch- changes. These might be changes like shutting down or spinning off certain programs, focusing on specific cause areas, or promoting general principles. Though this isn't a requirement. It's also not a requirement that candidates have experience working within EA, They also stress that applicants don't need to be unallowed fans of EA, or uncritical fans of EA, or live in Oxford even. The post also lays out the hiring process, which includes input from advisors outside of effective altruism. Seeking expertise to improve EA organizations by Julia Wise and Ozzy Goen is our next article. This post announces a new task force that includes the authors and others in the EA ecosystem that are to be determined that's being created to sort through reforms that EA organizations might enact and recommend to the most promising ideas. As part of the process, the authors are keen to gather ideas and best practices from people who know a lot about areas outside of effective altruism things like whistleblowing, nonprofit boards, COI policies, or organizational and management of sizable communities. You can recommend yourself or others in a form that they have attached. The next article is called Life in a Day, the film that opened my heart to effective altruism by Aaron Gertler. In this piece, Aaron breaks down a life in a day, which is a 90 minute film which shows what different people around the world are doing throughout a day. It shows in many ways that we're all the same and it creates empathy among that similarity. The author thinks without watching this, they might not have had a yes, this is obviously right experience when hearing about a philosophy dedicated to helping people as much as possible, regardless of connection to those people. In other words, it helped Aaron to cultivate a sense of, yes, we're in this together, that has been really instrumental in motivations for effective altruism work. And you know me, I'm a big fan of positive motivations for effective altruism work, with the meaning, orientation, and theories around meaning as a motivator for effective altruism work. And I'm so glad that life in a day has provided a greater sense of purpose and meaning in this work, an emotional touchstone to build a sense of purpose off of uh, for Aaron, as well as many other people in effective altruism who I've spoken with while recording this episode. The next article is called two things I think could make the community better by Kaleem. The first is CEA's name should change because it leads to misunderstanding of what they do and what they're responsible for. Kaleem shares two quotes from executive directors of CEA that contrast with some community members' perceptions of this. First quote is, we do not think of ourselves as having or wanting control over the EA community. That was Max Dalton in 2022. And next we have, quote, I view CEA as one organization helping to grow and support the EA community, not the sole organization which determines the community's future. And that was said by Joan Gass in 2021. In the comments, Ben West, the CEA interim managing director, mentions renaming CEA would be a decision for a permanent executive director, so that won't happen in the short term. The second thing that Kaleem wants to see change within Effective Altruism to make the community better is that the community health team is part of CEA, which is something which might reduce the community's trust in the community health team overall. Kaleem argues that separating the community health team from CEA would help to reduce conflicts of interest, as well as community members who are really concerned about going to CEA when they've had bad or negative interactions with one of the teams. Sensitive or personal or confidential information being transferred between the community health team and other members of CEA is also a pertinent concern here. In the comments... Chana Messenger, the interim head of Community Health, mentions they've been independently thinking about whether to spin out or be more independent. Next, we have a biography of philosopher Derek Parfit being announced as now published, which includes coverage of his involvement with effective altruism. This was announced by Pablo, and it's called David Edmonds' biography of Parfit is out. Next, we have, and lastly for today, an article called Story of a Career, Mental Health Failure, by Zeke Sherman. The author shares their personal career story, which involved attempting to switch pathways from finance, earning to give was their approach, into computer science in order to maximize impact, despite poor personal fit for the latter. This resulted in years of unemployment and poor mental health, and is something that they now have turned to regretting. They also suggest some actions that the community could take to reduce these risks. These recommendations include being more proactive about watching and checking in on other members of the effective ultrasound community. With that reminder in tow, I would like to thank you all so much for listening. And once again, please fill out the survey. It will only take 5-10 minutes. It will really help us to assess more accurately the impact that this podcast is having and ways that we can improve. So thank you so much once again to Zoe Williams for writing these amazing summaries. And thank you so much to Type 3 Audio for uploading it to the RSS feed. And of course, to Rethink Priorities for the general support. As always, guys, I want to remind everyone to stay involved in the things that bring them a sense of purpose and sense of meaning in pursuit of doing the most good. This cultivating that sense of meaning is ultimately what motivates some people to do really, really hard things. And hey, meaning is a much better motivator than stress ever can be. At least it's more sustainable. All right, I'll see you guys next week. Peace out.